Hello and welcome to another edition of Neil and Robbie's Ultra Cycling Podcast. I'm your host Neil and I'm joined as always by my co-host Robbie. Um, first of all, just big apologies to everybody that this is late. Uh, I would like to say it's all Robbie's fault, but I probably have to share some of the blame as well. Uh, I've been very busy uh, riding hard and training here in the Alps, and uh, Robbie has been studying for some exams. So, yeah, first of all, apologies to everybody. We won't let it happen again, honestly. Um, Secondly, happy birthday, Robbie. Thank you. Actually, yeah, we were going to record on my birthday. We we were. We didn't. And I I know we missed it, and I remembered halfway through the day, and sent you a random happy birthday message as I was descending into Italy. Did you have a good birthday? Um, yeah, just it was just one of them really like busy weeks and it was like like I say, like we you know, we apologise that this is late. It's just been it's just been crazy. Like I had all these exams like actually the day after my birthday. So I sat there most of my birthday stressing about it in the few days before. And then I've been because of people being away at work and stuff like that I've been putting in extra hours so I was at this point where I was just doing so much and uh but yeah the birthday was fun because I just when it got to like two o'clock in the afternoon I just switched off I was like I've got no interest in um in doing any studying and just left it at that and because of that I went in the next day feeling pretty good and passed my exam so I was really happy with that yeah and that's the third thing third thing congratulations because you are now a level three qualified personal trainer yes finally finally I I am yeah so I've been training a lot of a lot of people at level two and I went back to do the level three just because it was you know, I wanted to learn more, actually. I want to be one of these people to say, oh, I just wanted the bit of paper. But it wasn't about that. It wasn't about where to work. It was actually quite nice to have another year of pestering people like my coaches and people that have been PTs for so long to kind of learn a bit more about what I'm doing. And everyone said, are you doing one of these 30-day courses? And I was like, no, 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 I did the actual, you know, full year of actually going back to study. So I was like... There's me at the prime age of 31 walking into a room with a load of 17, 18 year olds. But I, you know, I bet you fitted right in mentally on the level. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, so it was quite nice because there's one thing reading it out the book, but it's quite nice just to pick people's brains a bit sometimes. And because of that, I feel a lot more confident actually going into doing more personal training for people now. And so I understand the process a bit better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, good. I, well, I'm I will. Uh, I'm sure we'll speak a lot about it because I'm interested to find out more about what, what that means, what, what you do. Um, so we'll have, we'll have a chat about that when we next meet up. Definitely, definitely. Which will probably be... Soon! At Luton Airport <laughs> on a flight yes. to Burgas. how exciting is this? So... In 12, 12 days... No, hang on, no, not 12 days' time. No, I've got that wrong. 16 days' say. time. 16 days! Yeah, till shit, I was like, that's far too soon. TCR ready, which I am super excited about now. So my knee was giving me so much grief over the past couple of months... And I took kind of t- took a step back, changed my training to just focusing on getting stronger, and now I feel awesome. 
So I don't. I know I could be fitter going into this, but I just feel like my knee's not going to snap into two while we ride and get stuck in Serbia. So yeah, so that I'm I'm happy. I'm very happy. More importantly, how's the training going, Neil? Someone's smashing a lot of miles in. Oh yeah, the training's going amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I'm having a fantastic time here in the Alps. Um, I've been getting a really good mix of kind of structured shorter sessions in where I'm doing very specific intervals which is so easy to do when you're surrounded by all these mountains. Uh, but then also some kind of really long, tough days uh, and back-to-back tough days in the mountains just to really acclimatise my body to the stress it's about to receive when we when we start the TCR. So, yeah, I went out oh, last week. I had a bit of an epic week. So Sunday, so this is going back eight days. Sunday I did pretty much the course of the Marmot with a little bit extra thrown in for good luck and amazing weather throughout most of the day until I got just to the top of Alpe d'Huez when of course it decides to absolutely throw it down with a thunderstorm. Uh, the next day I checked out some of the uh, some of the gravel sections uh, from the C- CP4 parkour which was pretty cool uh, and then well, was it Wednesday, Thursday? I think it was Wednesday, Thursday. I just did like two, two back-to-back amazing days down through the Alps, um, exploring, shall we say, some of my routing options. Uh, got stuck by or blocked by a thunderstorm. Spent the night in a mountain refuge, um, which sounds kind of harder than it actually was. I mean, the refuge was this nice place that had dormitories and hot showers, and they served hot food at half past seven, and it was full of kind of old French people uh, walking in the hills. Um, but yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, so that's just been absolutely amazing. So that was probably my last really, really hard session before TCR. Um, and I'm kind of pretty much on the verge of starting starting the taper in the next kind of five days. Exciting. So you're going to smash it this year? Well, I'll be going in fairly fit. Um, I, I think it's, as you, as you know, it's going to be down to the how we all deal with it mentally um, rather than you know how fit yes the fitness is kind of a key thing to have you've got to have the base fitness there but I think it's going to be I know I've got that it's a question of can can I mentally cope with riding 16 17 18 hours a day and just staying on it for that long that's that's the biggest challenge I think do you know what I was thinking about this recently loads and you know fitness is so important like it, it really is like don't get me wrong but it, I think, in my opinion, it just comes down to who's on the bike the most. And it's not like everyone goes, yeah, but if you're riding an extra mile an hour quicker, then you've got more time to rest. But it just doesn't work like that. It's the people that are in and out of supermarkets quick. It's the people that are eating on the bike. It's it's that kind of thing which seems to make the difference. So you could be Chris Froome fit, but if you're not efficient, then it just means nothing nothing at all and I feel quite bad in saying that but I think races are won you know with the people that spend the most time on the bike not the people that are strongest by far oh totally I I, I did some analysis on last year's times from TCR and if you look at the top 20 the difference in finishing time was anywhere between eight eight and a, I think it was eight and a half days for James Hayden and probably 13 and a half days for kind of the 20th place or something like that so like a five-day spread the spread in riding time was only about a day 
the biggest difference was the spread in non-riding time. Wow. Like, like James was by far and away spent the least time off the bike. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there were people in the top 20 who probably had an almost identical riding time to him, but they spent five days off the bike instead of one and a half days off the bike. So it is all down to how efficient you are at, at, at stopping. That's insane. I know. I know. I I just sorry that just doesn't really. God, that's crazy. I didn't really think of it like that. All you see on like Instagram is just how hard people are training, and stuff like that. When actually, you know, I I make an, a conscious effort now. If I'm ever going out for, let's say, a six-hour ride, an eight-hour ride, I make a conscious effort now to take as much food and water as I can on the bike, and when I stop, I try and make it really efficiently quick like I have my lock ready I pull up I literally think before I go in what I'm getting I jump in and I jump out just to, tr- to try and keep my elapsed time down I try not to stop I try and eat on the bike and I've been doing this for a while now and it's it's insane how much shorter your training sessions feel when you're not stopping for coffees you're not stopping to think about where to go you're not grabbing in into every garage you pass I think it's really opened my eyes up a lot recently. I can't lie, but I just want to get into that habit of thinking only relax when you're on the bike. You know, you should be stressing when you're not riding because there should be no reason why you're not riding. Yeah, other than you may occasionally need to sleep. Yes, no, sleep is... No, you don't need sleep. <laughs> no, yeah, you can't really go 12 days without sleep. <clears throat> yeah, I know, good luck. Did you know, like, the world record for the person that has not, like, went without sleep was 18 days or something like that? Were they kind of declared clinically insane at the end of it? Yeah, I think so. They had some real issues towards the end. Like, even, yeah. even one day without sleep or one night without sleep, um, you are worse than being a drunk driver like that your does not response levels are worse than if you'd had two pints of beer bloody heck wow yeah yes carry on yeah uh, cool should we go to the, should we go to the news yeah <laughs> sorry yes, it's not from, like from there's me one, and you like let's we haven't even got to the news yet yes let's go to the news yeah, so let's let's kick off with the Tour Divide. I know we talked about this quite a bit uh, in the last episode. Um, there was the the whole everyone getting blocked at uh, Bush Mountain Lodge or Brush Mountain Lodge. I think it's Brush Mountain Lodge. I need to get that one right. Um, but yeah, no, finally we we have a winner. The winner was uh, a guy called Chris Seistrup, uh, who won in a time of fifteen days, eleven hours, and twenty four minutes. Um, you know, so I think two things really stood out for for me for his ride. Um, one, he kind of just quietly and calmly carried on riding. You know, when the, all the fuss was going on about the big favourites and, you know, getting stuck and um, Sofiane turning back, Josh Ibbett and Lale getting stuck. Uh, eventually, Josh Cato had to pull out after a, after a crash. Um, you know, Chris just kept plugging away and yeah great great win from him um but what also stood out was um he actually suffers from hemophilia uh which for those of you who don't know is a lack of platelets in the blood so if you get a cut your your blood doesn't coagulate and so it's it it doesn't form a scab or a scar or or you know plug up 
so he was doing it to raise awareness for uh, for hemophilia and and to show that hemophiliac athletes can uh, can do this. I mean, I think other uh, there there have been some other f- certainly famous footballers, and I'm pretty sure some famous athletes who've uh, famous cyclists who've also uh, competed with this. Um, but to do it when to compete in something like the Tour Divide when you're so remote and so far from help, that, that takes some real bravery. Um, so yeah, that was cool. And and then the first woman and first single speed uh, was Alexandra Huchin, um, who she was uh, she was awesome. Um, go and check out her blog. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's she's got some really great writing on there. Really inspirational. Uh, so she rode a single speed uh, in steel cap workman boots. Uh, always had a smile on her face, and she finished in eighteen days, twenty hours. So. You know, a single speed in steel cap boots, finishing just three days behind the winner. Um, Does this not scare you a bit? Like, that you think, like, everyone talks about ultra racing. Nah, mate, you've got to have your stem at another two degrees. No, you've got to have your cleats perfect. And then some lady just goes and does the toughest thing, like toughest race, in work steel toe cap boots. And there's people moaning about, isometric chain rings <laughs> it just it makes me question all my riding and how anal I am about my own kit when someone just rocks up in flat pedals and steel toe cap boots and probably does better than I ever could on that in a single speed <laughs> in a single speed <laughs> shocking absolutely shocking like but amazing did you did you, one thing I have to just can I can I talk go back to Chris quickly yes did you see the dance uh, yes, I did. <laughs> he did a dance at the end. There's this video. I'll I'll try, see if I can find a link to it. But he just got to the end. He got like the car that was like kind of there to um put the music on. And he just did a two minute dance. And I'm like, stay classy, Chris. Stay classy. I loved it. I absolutely loved yeah, it. That's awesome. Yeah, I I know that made it onto the TCR uh, Facebook page um, with people expecting the winner of TCR to do a similar dance. Have you have you been working on your dance, Robbie? Not anything recently. <laughs> you know, um, honestly, like I, I, I was all kind of like, oh, let's go smash the list. Let's do the best I can. But honestly, I'm taking this TCR with a pinch of salt. Is in like, you know, I'm just gonna go in steady and see how I feel. If I feel like pushing it a bit more, I'll push it a bit more. But I'm going in with no expectations. Because, you know, like, if not, I'll just destroy myself in the first few days and I'll go home crying. It uh, d- doesn't matter. I still want to see your victory dance before we start. I'll still do one. If we finish, I'll do one, providing there's a beer at the end. No, I want to see it in Burgas before we start. I want, I want you to work on it. Um, we will be doing, uh, we will be launching Neil and Robbie's YouTube live. Yes during Soon. uh during uh, the TCR and and at Burgas and obviously I will still be putting out live content on my my Facebook page as well um but yeah keep keep an eye on our YouTube channel which will be launched and we will launch it with Robbie's victory dance a preview <laughs> of Robbie's victory dance have you ever seen Napoleon Dynamite no no I haven't okay <laughs> okay don't watch it <laughs> yeah I'll uh I'll, I think that's on Netflix. Is it on Netflix or Prime? Netflix, I think. Okay, I'll look that yeah. up. I'm yes. I'm still making my way through Buffy at the moment. 
I'm, I'm on to season seven, so I'm nearly there. I think I've got, what, five more days here to finish off season seven. I have been on the US office for quite a long time. Have you? I can't, I can't, I don't know, I just can't bring myself to watch that. I don't know how it could ever compare to the English version. It kills the English version. The English version, like, the first, you can get into the English version really easily, but if you give, like, the American one, like, four or five episodes, then it's ten times better. And, like, it's just funny, all the sayings and stuff, like, it it's, It seems to be very intelligent. And me and, me and Bryony, my partner, we laugh about it now. Because there's so many things that, like, that's what she says. Like, that's what she said. Like, you'll hear that so much. And that kind of, so much of that came from the office. And then you'll notice all these little things that people say around you, which they get from that. And it's not till now that I just sit there thinking, actually, that that's a really funny program. But you must watch it. Did you know it is the most watched thing on Netflix? That does not surprise me at all. Yeah, so I th- I don't know who owns the rights to it. I don't know whether it's HBO or somebody else, but whoever owns the rights to it is now pulling it back off Netflix because they realise Netflix is making all the money out of it, so they're going to put it by- behind their own paywall. Wow. I better, I better start recording them on my iPhone. Yeah, I, I, I read an interesting article the other day about how basically we're going to see, because of the success of Netflix and, and Prime... We're just going to see a proliferation of of streaming paywall services because everybody wants to monetize everything that they've got. So prepare for things to get very expensive. Anyway, um, just quickly back to uh, Tour Divide. I, I had a question from Kerry the other day asking what our opinion was on uh, the controversy around uh, the uh, or the filming controversy around Lael Wilcox doing a film of uh, the Tour Divide. Um, yeah. So, yeah, very, very briefly, Lael's partner, and I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. I think it's Rugil. Um, is a is a photographer, uh, a filmographer. Uh, does a lot of um, films, um, you know, promotional films around Lael and stuff like that. They wanted to do a film of her prep and race in the Tour Divide, and you know there was a big uh, thread on the Tour Divide Facebook group going, you know, well, does this make it a truly self-supported race if your partner is following you and filming you? Uh, discuss, and it led to a, a whole load of nasty comments. Uh, well, opinions, viewpoints. Yes, there was some nastiness that came into it. Um, I. I don't want to take up too long on this this podcast talking about it, but my view is, I, I think I've got two views or two kind of key points on this. Firstly, people have been videoing these things all the time. Lael is not the first person to have a video made about her whilst doing something like the Tour Divide or Transamerica. Um, people have been video- had films done about them on Tour Divide before. People have had films done them on Transamerica before. People will have films done about them all the time. Um, that's, that is inescapable. And I think that's part of what helps promote this side of bike racing because people want to see what it's like. People want to know what it's like. Not everybody is going to turn up on the start line and put themselves through that level of pain, but we want to see it. We want to see what people are going through. Um, so I think the more exposure we get for the sport, the better. I think it always does have to be, you know, how do you maintain 
the right level of uh, distance and the right level of non-interaction between the participants and the and the and the people doing the filming. But you know, let's be clear, Rugil was not the only person, or her and her team were not the only people videoing. There were other people there videoing. You know, I know some of the guys there following Josh and Josh Ibbett and and also filming some of the others. So that that wasn't unusual. I think yes given that it was her partner that there were concerns there which were valid but my kind of my second point on this is I think they went to pretty extreme lengths to deal with that they made sure that there was absolutely no contact they had trackers on them to make sure they knew where the the film team were at all times uh Rugger made sure she was nowhere near uh Lale whenever she was you know during the race and I and the other film people didn't have to wear trackers. They, there was no, there was a different level of scrutiny applied, it appears. Now, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. We'd probably have to speak to the organisers about that. But I think they went to pretty extreme lengths to maintain uh, that level of scrutiny. So for me, oh, get over it, everybody. People will be videoing people will video all the time um Lale is one of the biggest draws in the sport anything that you can do to help promote cycling to especially because she's really going to appeal to to young girls to young women anything that can be done to increase that appeal I think should absolutely be done um yeah I in my opinion like I I I know like I could see exactly where you're coming from and you're right anything to appeal into it but honestly like okay so when I was doing the race around Netherlands uh, there was two things that happened halfway round I passed my dad's boat that he was staying on and uh he came outside and he gave he gave me a hug he just goes you're smashing it keep going uh, he didn't help me in any way gave him a quick hug and carried on 30 seconds of seeing him yeah it gave me a bit of a boost and I felt really good for doing it but he didn't help me then day or two later a friend of mine goes can I pop out and see you and I was like you can't give me any assistance at all and he goes I understand the rules you get no assistance and he came out and came and chatted to me for about 10k and do you know what it, it did help but it on one side of the coin it gave me a boost on the other, I was sitting there thinking, oh, what I'd give just to stop and have a nice coffee with him. You know what I mean? It, it made a lot of temptation. So in my eyes, whether her partner's there or not, and I, I appreciate their filming and stuff like that, but God, like, if, if anything, sharing the experience will boost the sport. And there's not there's not even a prize. Like, it's not like she's doing it for a hundred grand. She's, she's doing it just because she wants to do it. So I think, I, I think a lot of people just a lot of keyboard warriors just got a bit over the top with this whole thing when realistically it it doesn't matter like it's if she was getting handed bloody oreos then yeah fair play but she wasn't she was still under the same conditions as everyone else she was just being pestered by film people all the time yeah yeah so, well, uh, well, well there we go we actually agree on that one um yeah i i agree i think i think it's just it's bloody ridiculous like yeah, and it's it, it it can be it can be a help, but it can also be a hindrance. You know, if you know how, yeah, you know, if you know that a loved one is there, then it can make it sometimes really easy just to go. You know what? I'm I'm out. 
Um, yeah, waiting in a car to pick you up. Yeah, it's, it's so easy just to go, actually, I've fallen off, I'm tired, I've run out of food, sod it, let's just call this a day. When some most people don't have a choice, they're like, well, actually, I'm in the middle of the bloody Rocky Mountains, or let's just use that as an example, uh, none of my, my family are 3,000 miles away, I have no choice but to go on. And then sometimes having that that option taken out helps people push a little bit further so there's i think there is a lot of drawbacks for her too yeah so uh i will be personally i will be looking forward to seeing the film because i can't wait to see kind of the inside story of what happened um and i say keep on videoing keep on keep on bringing the story because that's what creates interest in our sport if this was just a few crusty old guys not wanting to share it with anybody, then I think it would be a pretty, uh, you know, pretty sad, sad sport. But we get to we get to show it, we get to expose it, we get to bring people into what is a wonderful community. Um, and um, yeah, let, let's have some more. Yeah, Transalba, talk talk to us about that. So um, it started really well. Everyone fired out the blocks, boof, and then um, uh, Steve Abra Abraham. I am saying that right, aren't I? Steve Abraham won. So he literally got out the, the front. He got a clear, nice kind of like 50, 100k lead. And he won in a time of four days, 22 hours and 16 minutes. Uh, followed, there was quite big gaps at the front, which was quite interesting. So you had Steve and then you've got a really good friend of mine who deserves a massive shout out, Nikki Shaw. I've spoke, I spoke about her last time in saying you know, really wish all the best in this, because this was a race I was meant to be in, I was really excited to catch, like, catch Nikki up and have a nice chat with her and that, and um, she was following him, she finished in second in a time of five days, seven hours and 33 minutes, being kind of closely followed by third, but apart from that, there was really big gaps in between everyone, but one of the big problems with this race um, was the actual ferries, so... There was three ferries you had to get and you could do them all in a day, but they only ran between like seven in the morning and eight at night. So you had to be at the right place at the right time. You had to be really logistic. So you were getting after Steve and Nikki had got through, everyone was getting blocked into groups at the ferries and then just hammering it off. And it was a really interesting race and people are still out there racing now. So I don't kind of want to put a finish on it now. But yeah, it's, a lot of people said it was a lot tougher than they thought. It was a lot hillier. It was just so undulating up, down. But what do you expect in the north of Scotland? But yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of Nikki. I was chatting to her along the way as she was as she was racing. And do you know what? She just smashed it. She was riding through all of the nights. So they got caught in snow in the Kangorns. And do you know what? She, she just rode an excellent race. Full stop, you know. She didn't stop that much. She slept on a few benches. She just smashed it absolutely so proud of her like she's such a good mate and i know how much she put into that race and how much she wanted to do well in that and a second place finish it's just incredible i'm just so 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 pleased for her really am so hopefully i did have a chat with her we'll we'll have to get her on the show at some point and um get talking to her about it because it seems like she had a really interesting ride yeah, definitely. Uh, congratulations to, to 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 Steve and uh, and to Nikki. Um, and you know that just goes to show, kind of back to what we're talking about with with Lael and with Alexandra. You know, women 
are shown that they are there's no physiological constraints to competing with the men on equal footing you know um and we should kind of encourage that aspect of competition in the sport i think that's brilliant awesome nikki well done and definitely let's get you on the show hugely and gb juro um yeah i want to talk about gb juro because i i've been i super I, i think the course is amazing uh and they're similar to similar to the tour divide they are i think they're going to release the the track details on the first of january next year to encourage people to do it as an an individual time trial as well as in a grand depart every year um so yeah i mean it looked uh really really interesting course um and obviously this was the one where you know world world tour pro lachlan morton turned up and he won by a huge margin uh which i, I guess is kind of in a way not surprising but as you were talking about at the beginning of the show this isn't necessarily about riding fast it's about riding efficient and and you know just the photos of him sleeping in ditches and wading across rivers and generally looking cold wet muddy and miserable were amazing and he said he never realized that he'd never ridden a hard race before until this so for a world tour pro to say this is the hardest thing he's done is is quite amazing so yeah i'm it it was really interesting to watch really interesting to uh to see all the the uh the content coming back um definitely interested in riding it next year whether as the grand depart or whether to go and do it as an as an ITT um and i think on on Lachlan Morton um he showed that he's really got the skills to do this kind of racing so i i would be prepared to put money on him turning up um, racing either TCR or Transamerica next year Nice. I, I'll be honest. Like I did say to you last last week, do, how do you feel about someone going into it who's a pro, who's got more time to train, you know, a lot of experts behind him and stuff like that. And then that kind of got me thinking about it's actually the time off the bike that matters, and you can't take anything away from him. He was super efficient. You really can't. And I feel a bit bad for saying that because I just thought when a pro would come in they would get caught out on the resting times and stuff like that but no he just he just absolutely smashed it he really did that is kind of like heart and soul of someone self-supported come out in someone who's just ridiculously powerful and fingers crossed if i'm in the um trans and bike race next year or tcr next year i don't want to race him he'll I just don't yeah like keep 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 me posted on what you're up to Lachlan <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and if you want to come on the show as well Lachlan we'd be delighted to talk to you um now final news I just want to give a uh two shout outs really uh first of all a big shout out to uh Rodney Sonko uh who's a good friend of both of ours uh we've raced with him a lot um He's made his big target for next year, Race Across America. And he has just taken part in one of the qualifying races, which was the Ultra Cycling Dolomitica, uh, which is is a brutal course, um, 680 kilometers, 16,000 uh, 16, meters of climbing. Um, and I think he finished in a time of about 35 hours in uh, third place. But best of all he qualified for uh for race across america so uh yeah well done rodney congratulations and i look forward to seeing you uh 
uh, on the start line on the west coast of America next year. Um, wow, that's a serious ride. Sorry, I, I wasn't sure if 16,000 metres was a typo for foot, but metres, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, to put that into context, in Corsica, that was about the same amount of distance, but only 12,000 uh, 12, metres of climbing. So an extra 4,000 metres of climbing. And, and he only took four hours longer than he did in Corsica. Wow, and I, I remember seeing his um, pictures, and he's just like, oh, it's nice to have a support car. And I'm just sitting there thinking, do you know what, man? You've worked so hard in your racing that to see you with a support car and going up all these things, I was just like, I, was, I actually had a moment of pride for Rodney. He deserves it. He's a really cool guy. He's a really cool guy. And I hope he destroys Ram. I think he'll go and have a good race. Yeah. He's got the potential to go and have a good race. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, finally, final thing I want to talk about in news, uh, race news, is the North Cape Tarifa race, uh, which is going on at the moment, which is probably the longest ultra race on the calendar. So it goes from the very uh, top of Norway uh, all the way through to the southernmost tip of Spain uh, overlooking Morocco. Uh, it's about seven and a half thousand kilometers um, on a on a set course, and I, what I didn't realise is the course actually went right almost past the end of where I'm staying at the moment. So I was out uh, four days ago uh, on my two day trip. I was on the way back. I as I was getting to the top of the Iziran, I saw a guy go past with full kind of bike packing gear on. And, you know, looking like he'd been on a long ride. I didn't think anything of it. Um, this was at about five o'clock in the evening. I came home, um, obviously showered and changed, ate some food. And then I'm checking Facebook. And uh, Michelangelo Pacifico w went over the Iziran at about nine o'clock that night. Um, and I was gutted that I didn't know he was that close because I would have gone and said hi to him. Um no way. Uh, yeah, so Michelangelo and I raced, uh, well, all three of us raced together in on Inca Divide, and Michelangelo and I were kind of having a, a, a pretty intense battle through the final 24 hours. Um, so great to see him do well. Uh, the guy who was in the lead, uh, a guy called Steve, I think, just let me quickly check my uh, tracking because I've got, the, you know, I've had the tracking up following this. Uh so the guy who was in the lead, uh, who I'm pretty sure was the guy I saw, uh, was a guy called Steve Butcher. Um, he looks like he's scratched in Nice. Uh, don't know what went on there. Uh, and then um, the it was a, a lady who was in second place. She then took over the lead, Tanya Hacker. Um, she then had tyre issues. So she's remained in second, and Michelangelo has leapfrogged into first place. So go Michelangelo. Um, he's still got he's still got about two thousand kilometers to go. So a lot can still happen um, in that time. Um, Isn't Fabian in this as a pair? Is he in as a pair? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I'm think he was sure. in as a pair. Well, so Fabian's tracker says he's still in the middle of Poland. Oh, okay, but he is he is somewhere around. Yeah, he is somewhere, yeah, but he's in Poznan at the moment. So, Fabian, if you're listening, tell us what's going on. Um, maybe he's got sidetracked by, like, the best vegan restaurant in the world in Poznan. 
<laughs> yes, he probably has I, done. I doubt that. He's such a cool guy. More likely, he's just kind of decided that, you know what, I'm going to take my time here. Yeah, it's a, it's a long trip. You've got to kind of, yeah, you've got to enjoy it. Yeah, well, I was out I was out riding yesterday um, and I rode up to La Rosière, which is on the way over towards uh, Italy up the uh, Pitti Saint Bernard uh, Pass. And on the way down, I overtook, again, similarly, I came across this guy who clearly in full bikepacking rig uh, looked um, like he'd been riding for a long time. So I came past him, I stopped at the bottom and I checked the tracker and it was uh, Cesar Pedrini. Um, so, you know, I caught up with him, uh, we had a chat, uh, he he looked like he was, you know, doing well. Um quite a few tyre issues he had to stop and replace a couple of tyres and then he had more slashes on the tyres so I think you know that was that was a bit of a blow but um, yeah he's he's done transcontinental the last two years running so he he kind of wished me good luck with that and uh, yeah it was good to good to be able to see a fellow racer out on the road cool nice action but um, it's, it's interesting because it's like prime season at the minute for everyone, isn't it? So all you can see is races going on and everyone's off doing their thing. I feel like a bit of it. I feel a bit annoyed because like I just don't I, I just want to race more. But you just can't like hammer yourself so much all year. You have to kind of pick your battles. And that was something interesting that you said to me, you know, pick your battles and win them. Don't you know, don't just go into every fight, if that makes sense. I, you did say it in a more dignified way, but yeah, but, but you're right. And Racing takes a lot out of you. You know, when you're racing like 4,000 kilometers, yeah. even even 2,000 or 1,000 kilometers when you're not sleeping, it's it just takes so much out of you. It takes a lot of recovery that if you do too many races a year, you're just going to be destroyed at the end of it. <laughs> like last year. Yeah, I mean, I did four races last year. And by the end in end of Taiwan, I was just ready to chill out and not go near my bike for a while. So I did the four races, and then um, I also did that record, the most country cycled in a single week. And it was so interesting because everyone said, oh, you, you gutted your season's over now. And I was like, no, I'm really, really glad because I'm just exhausted. I'm just gone and I just that was just two months of not really doing anything after just because I was just so fed up <laughs> I was just like I love riding my bike I love going to other places but all it's been is fly home prep for the next race get as much money as I can in from work and stuff and then fly to the next one finish that next race and it's just this awful cycle and I needed a nice winter off and I'm so glad I took it that was that was everything but yeah the recovery is just stupid especially if you're like going in full gas and you're going in to win these things you just there's just nothing left yeah no no i i agree it's tough you need to you need to look at that you need to look at your calendar carefully and work out what you really want to take on and and what you need to let go um anyway speaking of records world records uh one more final shout out to Jonas Deichmann who is in the middle of an attempt to do the most or the fastest time to a hundred thousand meters of climbing, I didn't know this. Um, we will again put a link to his tracker in the show notes, um, and he is doing this with a friend, and they are doing it, uh, you know, bike packing style. They are sleeping rough, camping wild, 
Um, they're not in hotels every day, and they are they're ticking off anywhere you know five to six thousand meters of climbing every single day. I didn't realize they were doing this for um a world record. Did not know that. Didn't yeah. know that. So you can go and see his tracker. The route has all been pre-planned. Um, he, I'm hoping he gets here in the next kind of four days, so I can say hi uh, before I fly back to the UK. But um, yeah, that just looks insane because he, he's against the clock. You know, he's he's got a schedule that he needs to stick to, and it's it's one thing just to kind of go through the Alps over a few passes, but he's basically looping around doing every mountain pass that he can find. And, you know, weather becomes a massive factor there because you're just all permanently in the mountains. Just uh, one thing I, I probably have to chuck in, actually. Um, so my record that I broke last year has been broken. Has it? Yeah, it has, by a guy called Robert Gardner. But one difference he made on his compared to mine is obviously his route was really different. And congratulations, man, he smashed that. And we were talking before he went anyway. And he was also talking to the guy who had it before me as well. So it was quite interesting because we all seem to be in a circle of talking to each other now. And he broke it. Um, but one thing that had, one thing that's really difficult about it, and he just said, I'm not going to go for the, the actual Guinness evidence. So he did it and he didn't like kind of claim all the evidence and stuff like that, which is cool, which a lot of people are doing this now because the guidelines for you to get the evidence is stupid. Like, I'm not even going to start with how much BS is goes into it. Like, you turn into the fact of you can lose an hour a day just messing about getting evidence and going up to, like, they say you need, like, witness statements from people. So you end up having to go to police and ask them to sign documents, which they don't want to. And do you know what? It is just torture man it's the worst thing so i think after he's done that he he did it 17 countries so two more than me that i i might have another cheeky go at that at some point i don't know when but i probably will but with i'll do it next time without doing the evidence either because i just you you just wouldn't believe how much time you lose over it but hats off to him he smashed it i think he rode it wasn't I think he, I'm not sure about his route, but he was a couple of hundred miles a day, if I'm correct. But yeah, he did really well. And I think he's currently attempting the North to South record of crossing Europe. And I think, no, I think he broke it, but someone else is attempting it now. But he's just gone a bit crazy, this Rob Gardner, but hats off to him. Smashed it. So yeah, so that's really good news. But yeah, really, really good news. And honestly, records are there to be broken. I wouldn't mind having a go now, but I'm going to obviously I'm just going to focus on TCR now and just deal with stuff like that a bit later. But for anyone that is thinking about doing the records, make sure you look before you plan your routes and do your thing. Look at the amount of crap you have to go through with the evidence. It's just silly. You might as well take a filing cabinet on wheels behind you. It's just stupid. Absolutely stupid. Guinness are pretty awful. They really are. Right, shall we get on with the main topic of conversation for today's show, Robbie? Yes, eating. Absolutely. One of my favourite topics to talk about. And I th I think probably the reason why we all do ultra racing, because it means we can eat enormous quantities of food without any fear of putting on weight. Yes, talking of that, I need to ask you, 
how's your weight going, Neil? Because we talk about our weight and what we're losing for, like, tea cigar and stuff like that. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I think I'm kind of getting quite gaunt at the moment. Really? What? What? Where are you? Where are you sitting at? Are you? Do you not? Are we not judging it by scale? I don't know. I don't have a weighing scale here. I'll, I'll not know till I get back to the UK. Um, but yeah, obviously I'm riding. You know, twenty about on average twenty five hours a week at the moment, which is, um, and you're probably burning around five to six hundred calories an hour. At least I'm burning around five to six hundred calories an hour. Um, so, you know, what's that? I'm going to need to do some maths now. Uh, 12,500 a week. 500, 12,500 calories a week. Yeah, at 500. Because I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Because I've never really known what I've needed per hour, but I've always estimated 500 calories an hour while I'm riding. Well, we'll get on to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, so I'm yeah probably burning 12,500 calories um, extra uh, a week. Uh, which is, um, there's 9,000 calories per kilo of fat. So I'm effectively getting through a kilo and a half of fat a week. <laughs> now, obviously that's not exactly how it works because I'm, I'm yeah. eating, I'm, you know, I'm eating a lot to, to cover all those burnt calories. But, you know, even if I'm maintaining, it's fairly easy to maintain a deficit of a thousand calories a day, which is, is still you know nearly a kilo a week that you're losing so um yeah i'm 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 eating a lot to try and compensate for that because i don't want to lose too much weight before the start of tcr because otherwise i will uh i will not have enough fat stores to see me through to the end and we, and we will get on to that in in more detail um but i want to start with a with a quote and i'm going to attribute this to james hayden but i think he may have stolen it from somebody else I know. I think I know where this originally came from. Ultra racing is an eating competition on wheels. Yeah. So I thought that originally came from Christoph Allegart. Right. Okay. Could be. I, I'm not sure. It might have come from James Hayden. Um. Either, either way, it's a that's a very accurate assessment of what ultra racing is about. Um. Yes, it's about riding your bike fast. Yes, it's about being efficient with your stopping. But ultimately, if you don't eat properly, you grind to a halt. And there's just no two ways about that. And the the reason it's called an eating competition on wheels is, you know, when you look at the, the numbers involved, um, it, you realize that you have to be permanently eating just in order to consume enough calories to keep you going. So let's take, uh, like one of my biggest days I ever had was, or probably if you look at like a short race, say like a man or Corsica, uh, where you're racing nonstop for uh, 40 hours or, or something like that, uh, you're burning through around 20,000 calories, um, which, is, which is an enormous quantity of food. Um, now you can run a certain level of, uh, of of deficit between what you're eating and what you're burning. Um, and, and the reason we can do that is because ultra racing is done at a very low intensity. Um, you, you know, even it doesn't matter how good you are, you're still going to be riding uh, close to recovery pace. And, and indeed, I suggest to people a good starting point is actually recovery pace. 
because that's the the level that you can keep going for 12 14 16 hours and still then be able to ride the next day if you're riding uh anything close to the top end of your endurance pace which is up to say 70 75 percent of your threshold power output you do that for 10 hours you're going to really feel it the next day um yeah and and i think that's what a lot of people get wrong is that they go in and they race these things too fast so yeah. but because it's done at such a low intensity uh you know the majority of our uh energy supply is coming from our fat stores um and you know that that's we have a lot of fat stores on us um and that's what allows us to uh to to keep riding so long um but you've still got to replace it you've still got to eat um because otherwise your body just shuts down your body's very good at protecting itself um yeah. so you know even if we're talking 20,000 calories burnt in in two days you you need to be eating at least 10 to anywhere between 10 and 15,000 calories if your body isn't just going to grind to a halt so you know that's that's a huge calorie intake but it's well, the, the difficult thing about it is and this is something i find is that when i talk to people like so i work at a gym and we a lot of people diet quite regularly and get ready for competitions because there's quite a few bodybuilders at the gym and and I, I tell them they're like one of them turned around to me the other day and said what do you eat on a day if you're riding the full day you know it's like full days in sleeping or not sleeping and they're like not sleeping so i said okay so 20 hours let's say yeah yeah about 20 hours and i'm like i probably need i don't know like if i'm really efficient probably need like twelve and a half thousand calories on the day for actually let's say ten thousand calories for the riding plus my daily maintenance which is two and a half let's not take in recovery calories and stuff like that for example and they're just like how do you eat it all and i'm like you don't <laughs> you know it's gotta yeah you just can't do it and this is a really interesting question to ask is when people always say oh do you come back do you lose weight on these things and i'm like oh yeah you lose weight you know but it's it's just about getting the pace right and your your body i feel as though it adapts to it in time it adapts to what it's doing it adapts to what it's burning but realistically it's just scary if you were to write down everything that you'd eaten on an ultra race the amount you'd actually eat and it, it's tough i hear stories about christoph allegart like I think he won TCR two or three times. He'd walk into a McDonald's and just order eight McFlurries and just eat them back to back. And it's just like, everyone's like, oh, that's just obsessive. And you're just like, no, because realistically, let's say 250 calories per McFlurry. Let's say he's eaten eight, that's 2,000. For him, that's probably only three or four hours riding, you know, and it's not even slow-release carbs. That is just sugar in two or three hours. And he's riding 18 a day. You know, that's one of his stops, you know, 2,000 calories in one stop. And if he's snacking along the way as well, still nowhere near enough. Nowhere near enough. So that is far from obsessive. And trying to explain to people, look, like, all you've got to do is keep eating. And so many people that ask me for advice... I just go, God, just just eat a lot and drink a lot. Oh, but I'm worried about putting weight on. Trust me, you won't. You know, like you you will be physically sick. Yeah, you will not. You will not put weight on. Have you um Have you ever watched um Glengarry Glen Ross? 
No. Go I and watch not. it. It's one of the best films ever. Um, okay, what's it about? Anyway, uh, it's, about a bu- it's about a bunch of uh, uh, land salesmen in the US or estate real uh, estate agents in the US. And it, it's really cool. It's based on a play. Um, so it's kind of very few locations, very heavy on the dialogue. There's a, there's a, there's a really famous scene where Alec Baldwin brings out these brass balls yeah um yeah go and watch it i'll put if i can find a link to it we'll stick it in the show notes anyway there's a there's a a phrase in there where it's always be closing i.e you've got to always be closing deals uh so abc now when we talk ultra racing i always think abe always be eating if you're not eating you should be thinking about eating if you're if you don't have something to eat in your hand you should be reaching for something in your pocket so because because that's the only way you will get the calories in um so yeah always be eating that's why this is an eating competition on two wheels so yeah let's let's kind of get into the details of the numbers so you know if we're talking uh you know ten thousand calories burned in a in a 20 hour riding effort um, now there is a limit to how much your body can process and absorb, um, and I, I think that's going to be, and it depends on what you are taking in. But you're going to need to be eating anywhere between two fifty and four hundred calories an hour. Um, now it depends on your on your your weight. It depends on your power output because um, it's your power output that really defines how much you are, uh, how much you're burning. So, like, if we were to just take uh, my wife and I riding up a hill together, um, I would be burning, you know, if we're going at the same (laughs) pace, (laughs) I would be burning at around 700 calories an hour, whereas she might be burning 500 calories an hour. So her calorie requirement is a lot less. Now, if you're a bigger, more powerful rider, um, then your your requirement is going to be even higher. So... You know, you need to have a certain understanding of how many calories you burn per hour. This is where a power meter is very helpful. So I know 500 calories an hour is a pretty good bet at kind of ultra race pace as to where I am. That's, you know, maybe 100 and, you know, when I'm around 170 watts, 180 watts of uh, of power output. Yeah. So that gives me a starting point for what do I need to eat? Now, you know, from, from everything I've read, that it there is a limit to how much your body can process in an hour. Uh, And I think that's usually around 350 to 400 calories. But what influences that is the different kinds of foods that you're eating. Like if you try to cram in 350 calories worth of uh, glucose, then that's absorbed through the stomach all at the same rate and you cannot cope. You will very quickly get to a state of uh, gastric distress. I you'll be vomiting and worse um so um and and kind of when you look at sports drinks they've kind of got to that point where they'll mix different kinds of sugars so that all get absorbed at different rates to increase the total amount you can take in 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 an hour um so we've got I've you know I usually have my starting point which is let's say 250 to 350 calories an hour now um you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, would well, you just take lots of gels? Um, well, no, for, for two reasons. One, the first reason I've just described, which is 
if you try and just consume it all through one, not just one macro component, i.e. carbohydrate, but also one particular kind of uh, that macro component, i.e. a single type of simple carb, then that's what leads to the gastric distress. But when we come back to, you know, what we just said about, how, you know, how are we burning our, how are we getting our energy? Well, we're sourcing our energy predominantly through uh, breakdown of fat into fatty acid, and that's what fuels the aerobic uh, energy cycle. So we're not putting massive glycogen demands on our body because you can't, you know, you can ride on glycogen for a couple of hours, then your body goes, well, that's it, I'm, I'm done. So my take on this is you don't need to be eating sugar what you actually need to be doing is is keeping your body going rather than trying to fuel a very high intensity workout it's just putting the calories of all different kinds into your body so you know across all of the macro uh, the macronutrients so carbohydrate fat protein um, all of those things will then get absorbed at different rates within the body because you'll be eating some sugars, you'll be eating some complex carbs, you'll be eating some things with a higher fiber content, you'll be eating things with fat in it, and and you have to eat things with protein in it. Otherwise, you know, your body will start to break down the, the unused muscles and, and that then leads to, you know, that's that's not a great outcome. So try and mix across everything. And for me, what what I usually do and what I usually say to people is it, it's not necessarily about you've got to eat this or that. It's more about, well, what can you eat? What do you want to eat? Because if you go into a shop and think, right, well, I need to get like, let's say, I don't know, 300 grams of sugar in, let's say, the form of Haribo. Note they are not a sponsor of the show. Other sweets are available. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Haribo. They are good. Um, <laughs> They'll be everywhere in the world, no matter where you go. Uh, yeah, Haribo and Oreos, or sometimes fake Ore- sometimes fake Oreos. <laughs> what are um, they called? <clears throat> Blackouts or something? <laughs> yeah, you might get a load of that and just not be, you know, not feel like eating it because there's times you just don't feel like eating things. So if you have this range of things that you feel you can eat or that you know you can go at any particular time, then it's about what you can eat, not not what you feel you must eat. So, yeah, so I kind of always try and eat a whole range of different things. And the, the easiest thing is when you start the race, um, because then you can actually start with what you want to eat rather than what's available. So I will always start with um, three sandwiches in my back pockets, um some nuts some uh haribo some biscuits uh, uh some kind of flapjack bars because that just covers a whole wide range of of different um macronutrients and also different you know types within those macronutrients so there's always something that i feel like i'm ready to eat yeah so i i completely i overcomplicate things massively <laughs> like as as we know like I'm an overthinker so when I when I think about the foods I eat and I'm I'm one of these people that you know this Neil from us being in Peru I I do not like eating food in little shacks I don't like the idea of getting ill so I'm a sucker for garages and stuff like that and one thing I've found is that you know I try and try and be a little bit strategic with it if that makes sense so I've written down here like about strategies and the way I go about it and 
originally I just eat lots in one session and then I'd just keep riding I wouldn't drink enough water and it, I just kept flagging and I always used to have this phrase that like there's very little a coffee and a nice bit of food doesn't fix and that's because I was just depleting myself constantly but the repercussions of going into that depletion so often are terrible so I thought I need to be a little bit smarter on how I'm going to work this so I started using stuff like um, carbohydrate powder and started thinking about distance and duration so this is probably I'm probably gonna sound really technical here when it's actually not but I do a lot of what I do on duration so I will sit there thinking about like okay let's take 160k for example or in in English 100 miles so I sit there thinking I'm going to drink a load of water before I go, not too much, just enough, and have something to eat, maybe a bottle of Cocoa Pops, let's say. I'll go out riding, 25 miles in, I know it's time for me to have some water, so I'll have some water, but I also know I need electrolytes, so I'll maybe chuck either an electrolyte tablet in, or I'll use some carbohydrate powder with electrolytes. Then when I get to 40 miles, I sit there thinking, well actually, there wasn't really many calories in that carbohydrate powder, so now it's time to start eating, so I'll maybe have a flapjack. Then at 50, because that's quite OT, you know, and you have to take into example what you're eating and how much water you take to digest that, I sit there thinking, okay, 50 miles, it's time for me to have some more water. And then at 60, I sit there thinking, actually, let's have some more food so I don't flag. And then at 75, more water with carbohydrate powder, and then push on through to to the hundred mile where I'll restock and I read like kind of get all my water back in and go from there. But I find a hundred miles is good for me because it's normally about six or seven hours, which kind of is a good time between having big meals. So one thing I find is I'll snack a lot throughout the day, but I'll avoid my big meals. And over the day, avoiding your big meals is two and a half thousand calories, three thousand calories. So you can't just go on snacks. You need to make sure that you're getting big meals in as well as little snacks and it's I, I made the big mistake of that I used to think oh as long as you get the calories in at some point your body will just adjust to it you can't eat every six hours it's all about little and often and I've tried to be one of these people that's gone actually I'm gonna try going keto and just burning my own body fat and I did try that once and I managed 400 miles two days of being on less than 50 grams of carb a day while trying to ultra race and my weight down went down so quickly just couldn't get the food in but I find having a bit of a strategy helps me but it also distracts me from thinking about how much my legs hurt or the pain that you're going through so having a strategy I think oh I've just passed 40k it's time for me to have another drink oh there's another 20k it's time to me to have some food and it kind of breaks up the monoton- monotonous of it all if that makes sense well I, I think what you've hit on here is um it's about the importance of process. Yes, yeah, hugely, hugely. You've developed a process for making sure you eat enough. Now... This has only come about since, not going to lie, since Christmas. Yeah, now the the importance of process is that process can be practised. And the more you practise that process, the more it becomes an embedded part of how you ride. The more yeah. it's an embedded part of how you ride the less you have to think about it. Yeah. So what what you've done is created a, a way of um, automatically 
staying on top of your calorie intake which is which is absolutely the right way to do this if 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 it is that automated process then you don't need to think about it so much but there's there's one big drawback i found in my process so if there's anyone listening thinking i'm going to adopt this process as well there's one thing i found this works when i'm riding around norfolk yeah because it's not that hilly and sometimes you might find it a little bit undulating but what i found was i took the process eventually from being a mileage thing to a duration thing so it was an hour and a half before my first bottle of water and it was then another half an hour or another hour into my first bit of food and then another half an hour to my water and i did it over instead of doing it over distance because it's not going to work if you're going up an alpine pass it's better to do it over time you know because then as long as you're riding and you're not taking big breaks and you're planning on riding all day the process of doing it over time makes sure that you're getting up to the top of like the mountains and not going oh i've only done 10 miles but they've all been at eight percent gradient you know and so it's about trying to take that process that i have over a time duration and then fitting into food stops along the way of a planned route on a race and then that's what i find quite complicated but also very enjoyable because it makes it difficult what's open what's not open and things like this yeah so i i started off with a three hour block um but i've since then kind of expanded that out to a a six hour block because i think that fits better with trying to resupply um and, and often when i at the start of a race i will start with a with a 12 hour block like at the beginning of a race i'll know i'll have enough food to take me through 12 hours um yeah i think uh interestingly i was i was reading a, a post from sofiane looking at tour divide and looking you know he was looking at his strategies and processes around this and and his process is around having one point of resupply a day so you stop once a day to get everything that you need to eat for 12 hours uh, for 24 hours I love this idea. Sorry, which which I think is another great way of doing it because um, you know, as you say, one of the challenges might be knowing where you can stop and get food. If you kind of decouple that when to stop from uh, when you kind of run out of food, then you, you gain more flexibility. So whether you, you know when you, whether you come across your point of resupply at three o'clock in the afternoon or six o'clock in the evening, uh, then you can do that. So that's certainly something I'm going to be looking at for. TCR is can I uh, can I do that kind of resupply once or maybe twice a day um, to carry everything through but my feeding process will still be based on a three or a six hour cycle to make sure I'm then consuming enough calories to hit that kind of 250 to 350 target uh, per hour um, now I won't always hit that in an hour it might be I'll do 150 150 150 and then have a big kind of binge eat or stop for dinner where i'm eating like 2000 calories in a go um but you know that that i've got to make sure i try and hit those averages all the way through yeah i think one thing i found that really helped me as well and this is something that i i did in the race around netherlands and i actually did it in biking man taiwan as well so i'm that not sponsored at all uh high five nutrition they do these carbohydrate like sachets and um i decided to take 12 or 13 of them to taiwan and there were so many times when i just hadn't kept on top of my nutrition and this is my own fault and i was just chucking in these carbohydrate 
like sachets into my water and they're full of electrolytes and stuff and they just kept me going and there were so many nights when I sat there thinking god I'm so thankful I've got these and even when I I, I adopted this whole thing of using them to the race around Netherlands and someone said to me oh are you are you bivying because you're not carrying much stuff and I said no and they said oh is that all you're taking and I said yeah I've got some stuff I didn't really have enough clothing but I thought I've got my clothing and I, I took 1.2 kilos worth of food with me and that was just these little 47 gram sachets and then a few energy gels and they were just great for filling in the gaps and it was like every time I put had three bottles I put a sachet in each bottle and then the beauty of it was for every time I knew I was going to have some water there was electrolytes in it and there was an extra I don't know 150 calories per bottle which was just that little bit extra just to keep you pushing in case I was going through the night and struggling to find food and the reason why I got so far up to the front of the pack on the first night was because there was one stretch where there was very little for resupply and if you wanted to actually resupply you had to go right off the course to a McDonald's in a place called Kronigan. I didn't do that and I overtook quite a few people because I was lucky enough that I had enough water I was just putting these carbohydrate sachets in and then eventually I don't know 50k down the road I hit a bakery and that put me you know 20k in front of everyone because I didn't have to make any detours I wasn't sitting at a Mackey D's and I, I just got something my body was really used to and I, this is something that on TCR it's too long to take you know a two kilos worth of bloody carbohydrate powder so for me personally plus then I think you you know you have to think about the how much sugar can you take in exactly so for me I'm I'm probably going to take I don't know 10 sachets and just use them in dire emergencies or when I need a kind of pick-me-up but I think you can get away with racing for like a day or two but not on stuff like that you have to eat as well but as a push I I'm really excited to to use them and if you've ever seen did you ever see um it was the film about Mike Hall the one where he, he cycles across America um inspired to ride yeah I think it was that and there was a guy that just did it all on just powder so he'd basically just like literally gone and he started in wherever they start and he went to the post office and sent all these kind of big deposits of this carbohydrate powder he would cycle for a while pick some more up so all he was doing was mixing with water so he was getting exactly what he needed nutritionally but he had the burden of carrying a rucksack full of this powder which would get lighter and lighter and lighter and i i noticed the difference between losing a key 1.2 kilo and a half of food over my race around Netherlands because I was just like my god there's nothing in my front bag you know what I mean like but I think ultimately that went pretty badly for that guy I think ultimately he his his stomach then just rebelled and he he it broke down yeah yeah oh yeah like so you, so I would say don't do that yes <laughs> yes have carbohydrate mix for emergencies but do not make it your you you have to get a mix of of food groups in you have to get a mix of different kinds of carbs in um yeah if you're relying completely on carbohydrate powder maybe you can do it for a day or two beyond that you might be in some pretty serious trouble um i i personally i don't take any carb mix yeah 
I'll always have an emergency pack of Haribo just because, you know, Haribo are lovely. I like eating them. Um, (laughs) But that's why I like having a mix. You know, I usually have sandwiches with like meat, butter um, in it. Um, I'll have, you know, when I stop, I'll have crisps with a lot of salt in them. Um, I'll have biscuits. I'll have nuts. So I I really try and kind of get a range of things in. And, And I've moved away a lot from using kind of gels and carb mix i can't remember the last time i had a gel or any mix in my bottle i, I just for me it, it doesn't it doesn't work as well for me I'd, I'd much rather stick to kind of normal food um yeah i think one thing that i've found and i think i think laura um will probably really agree with me because she's she knows all about her nutrition but it being a bit more balanced it makes your body just so much happier and like I say that because if I try and fuel on just carbohydrate and Haribo and just basically really heavy sugary stuff for some reason my body and you're you're probably going to go Rob this is nothing to do with it but this is just an observation on my side I seem to need to go to wee a lot and things like this but the minute I start adding stuff like flatjacks and oats and bread and stuff like that, I seem to get a bit more like water retention and hold my water. But if I'm just using sugary stuff, it just seems to go straight through me when I drink water and I don't feel as I'm getting the benefit of that sugar. I don't feel as I'm getting the benefit of that water because literally I'm drinking a bottle then I'm weeing all the time and I'm like, why aren't I retaining any of this water? So for me... I feel as that's my body's way of saying, look, I've got nothing to bring this, to let this water hold on to. So I'm just going to have to get rid of it. You know, so, but the minute I start eating properly, I start to retain more water. I feel better. I've not got these highs and lows of energy. I'm just kind of a bit more on a level playing field in my own head and in my nutritional mind as well. But maybe that's just me being a bit weird or maybe that is something. I, I don't know. I'll I will talk talk to Laura about that one. Um, I, in general, we retain more water when we're storing glycogen in our body. Yes, yes. Um, so, like for every glycogen molecule, we uh, we store four, uh, three water molecules. I think something like that. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it should be linked to your your sugar intake or your carbohydrate intake. But you know, like, like I said, I think you've got to get a balance of food across all the across all the macros you know if you're especially if we're talking about a longer race if you if you go through um you know 10 10 12 15 days of tcr you your body's going to need to do a lot of repair so you need to get a lot of protein in yeah Um, so if you're not getting protein in your body will just start to cannibalize other parts of your body um which you know as we said earlier on is not is not a good thing so um but i think the most important thing about all of this is practice it practice what works for you because what works for some people won't work for others um but what you don't want to do is turn up on race day and not know what you can eat um and i think this is where you see the difference between a, an experienced ultra racer and a and a new ultra racer is when they go into the into the service station yes an experienced ultra ultra racer will go into the service station and they all know exactly what they're going to go and get and they'll go and get it all they'll put it on the counter pay for it eat half of it and stick the other half of it in their back pocket a new racer will go in and spend 20 minutes walking around the petrol station going 
oh, I don't know what I fancy. <laughs> Do you know, actually, can I... So, you remember in Taiwan, so we raced, me and Neil raced Biking Man Taiwan last year, and there was one thing that I realised by the end I'd got pretty efficient in doing, and that was walking into a 7-Eleven and getting the same thing again and again. And it was, I'd walk in... And I would go straight to the sandwiches and there was a tuna crunch and cheese one and there was this egg and cress one. I'd buy one of each of those. I'd oh, buy a big bag of crisp. Egg and, then and cress. Have... Yes. Oh, and then I'd buy disgusting. No, that I that I'd buy two ice creams and two chocolate bars. And this was the same routine, four or five times a day, same 7-Elevens, boom, boom, same ice cream, same everything. And it just made it easy because I wasn't sitting there going Oh, what should I eat? Or is there going to be a restaurant close? I was like, just find a Seven Eleven, and just get on with it. You know what I mean? And you know, Seven Eleven—they're just the best things ever, really. But, so I would, I would always go in and get beef noodles and an ice cream. Yeah, you're a little bit more adventurous than me. On what the beef older... noodles? That's not exactly yeah. adventurous, Robbie. <laughs> I didn't try the. What do they have? Like a hundred-year-old duck or something? Yeah, or yeah. Mouldy sort of. egg. Yeah, I know. Like, I think Marcus Leach was quite big into this this mouldy egg. He put a picture on. I think it was Marcus. Someone did, and I was like, "Wow, you're you're kind of way, way, way more adventurous than me." But it's it's interesting. Sorry, just going back to what you're saying about the um, like everyone has a way of working. And um, one thing I I really messed up by um years ago was thinking that I could break the cycle and be something special and you you read a lot about yeah I'm a keto athlete and all this and I get that if you want to be a keto athlete that's fine but you you mentioned earlier Neil about your muscle store glycogen and everyone says okay like you know I can run purely on fat because my body's set up to do this you know the the damage that I put across to myself trying to do these kind of things keto really didn't help me and I, I hear about vegan athletes and I hear that kind of thing, but I, I I dabbled in trying to do these things keto and it's just awful. You know, it, it was just hell for me. But it's just a, a case of just trying things and just eating different things and seeing how you go and that kind of thing. And, and your body will it'll do what it wants. You know, it'll you'll soon feel crap if you're doing the wrong thing. It's just about feeling like you've got energy and the more food if you might find that you're eating too much you're not eating enough you know you just got to find the balance and i would challenge anybody to figure out that they're eating too much yeah oh definitely like i would hats off hats off to the person that can and it's just it's incredible but like i i found that it was for me the biggest difference for me was actually putting a strategy in my head and eating little and often. They were the two things that took me from being completely clueless to 5% knowing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll come back to that because I, I want to talk about some of, you know, you've talked about how you kind of break things down into distance or, or now duration to, to help you drive the process. I want to talk about a few of the things that I, that I do to help with that. Um, but I think, you know, your story about Taiwan raises a really... Uh, good point around um, you know do your research find out what uh, you're going to be able to eat in the country that you're going to because every country will be uh, sometimes slightly different sometimes wildly different 
So if we take Taiwan as, a, as an example, Taiwan is probably one of the best places in the world to have an ultra race because you couldn't go for more than an hour without seeing a 7-Eleven. The 7-Elevens sold a whole variety of food um, from microwave meals to kind of bowls of uh, noodles and hot water to kind of 100-year-old moldy eggs to you know anything and everything. And it was always there. It was always open 24-7. And it, it, it was just, it, it was ultra racing heaven from, from an eating perspective. Um, you know, you take that to another, let's say a completely different extreme, which would be when I was in Kyrgyzstan the other week uh, or the other month. Um, and obviously where they have the Silk Road mountain race that presents a very, very different challenge. Sometimes you can be three days between points of resupply. You might be stopping in yurts and having whatever it is that they're cooking at that time. So, you know, you can go from this one situation where regular as clockwork, you go into a 7-Eleven and pick up whatever you fancy to a situation where you could be going three days without food um, so you need to carry loads of food. You need to work out how you're going to cook that food if it's hot food or are you just going to eat, you know, cold food? What are you prepared to eat? Because yeah. it might not be very palatable what they're putting in front of you. So um, and, and there'll be a whole range of different things in between. Um, you know, we look at Inca Divide. Inca Divide, obviously, there were shops that you could stop and get a lot of kind of normal food at, but they'd never had sweets. Sweets were really difficult to get. Um, so I found myself eating a lot of Oreos, but actually also stopping for a lot of, of kind of full meals. I would stop for like four meals a day uh, because it turns out that they have Lomo Saltado, which is their national dish, <laughs> or one of their national dishes, which is basically fried meat with chips and rice, which is a pretty perfect meal when you just need to get a lot of calories in um so yeah do your research and work out what um what is available in the country that you're going to um especially if you are on uh any kind of particular diet um one of the biggest challenges is if you're vegetarian or vegan how do you deal with these things um you know that can be problematic so do your research first and also you know what i like to do and what i say to people is when you get to a country where you're going to go and race, get there three or four days beforehand, go out and ride and go out and resupply by the side of the road as if you were on a race because just what you can learn in those two or three days of, of picking stuff up off the side of the road will inform your race plan and use that to adjust your race plan. Yeah, um, one thing that that did actually make me um, make me laugh the other day, so talking about going to places and appreciating and, and going there a few days before, which I massively agree with. Um, Abdullah, uh, the guy that just won, I think this was him that said it, that it just won, obviously, the Trans-America bike race. He said towards the end, when he was getting to places, there was too much, too many options for resupply. And he was saying that it was really difficult at like two, three in the morning or whatever, passing places and realising that he really wanted to stop but he knew it wasn't time to stop if that makes sense and it was just too convenient to stop and he said it he was he was losing time uh, over the the race just judging by that there was too many options to stop 
so it's also just being about selective you know and like the 7-elevens there were so many in Taiwan I lost a lot of time just because I felt like oh I'm going to stop and get another ice cream when you can just buy say bye to three miles off the leader just walking in just grabbing an ice cream and coming out again yeah no I, I definitely in Taiwan it was so easy to stop and that that tempts you in it tempts you to just kind of sit down and once you've sat down bang 20 minutes can go you know you you have a coffee you have an ice cream you start checking facebook and yeah time goes really quick <laughs> you've made some fake instagram profiles you've hounded the other racers <laughs> <You know? laughs> sorry usual stuff yeah Le- left um, some terrible comments on their pages to piss them off <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> and now to come back to the process thing because we've talked a lot about process here um one thing I would always look at is look at the the technology that's at your uh, disposal to help as well. So I I usually use a Garmin 1030 and that allows me to put custom alerts in. So I have two custom alerts, one uh, that beeps every half an hour that says eat uh, and another one that beeps every 1,000 calories and says you've burnt 1,000 calories. So it's just kind of two... Uh, different based reminders of the need to eat and a reminder of the fact that I am burning a lot of calories. So, you know, look yes. look at what you're using. Look at, you know, if that's the kind of thing that will help you, then uh, then then use what's at your disposal because I just find that really useful because it, it pings at me so every so often saying eat, 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 which is great. Yeah, I must admit one thing, just sorry you mentioned about calories there is, you make sure like we said about you're like roughly about 500 calories an hour and you know I've always judged it that but you could use some trackers and they're just like well done you've been riding and this is like have you ever heard of Peloton before yes I have you know the indoor bikes and someone was just like you know lovely guy friend of mine he's like oh i did a half an hour ride with uh robin and i burned 800 calories and i'm like mate <laughs> no, you haven't <laughs> you haven't and and he and it kind of went down like a bit of a lead balloon i was like you haven't and he was like well yeah because i entered my it, it knows my heart rate i entered my weight so it's probably there or thereabouts and i'm like man when i'm hammering it i look at like i allow for six seven hundred an hour and that is me giving everything you know and I'm heavier than you you know so um it's you have to be quite wary of these things when you're training to not go out and think I rode for two hours today that's at least two and a half extra thousand calories so I'm going straight to the dessert tray anything anything that uses heart rate to try and estimate calorie burn is going to be wildly inaccurate I think um it, it's all linked to power output and the body's efficiency so power output is uh energy per second so one watt is one joule per second one joule is a is a unit of energy and it is i have to trawl back through my degree now uh it is the energy required to lift one liter of water by one degree celsius ah that's that's the definition of a joule uh of work so uh power is work rate so you know if we're working at 200 watts we're burning 200 joules a second or, or we are doing 200 joules a second worth of work um, and that's power to drive the bike forwards depending on where it's measured um, usually at the crank or at the pedal um, the 
but then the body has a certain level of efficiency. So, and normally that's around 25%. So for every joule of work that's done to drive the bike forwards, three joules of work is done just heating up the body. That's just the body's inefficiency. This is why we get so hot when we ride. Like if you're, if you're doing 250 watts, then effectively your body is running at one kilowatt and 750 watts of that is just heating you up. Um, now, <clears throat> efficiency actually varies very... There's not a massive range in, in, in efficiency between people. Um, it, it's between 23 and 26% or 23 and 28% um, is the efficiency of the body. And interestingly, often people that have higher... Uh, thresholds can have lower efficiencies um, I think I need to go and double check that because there was some interesting article around how you know it's a combination of efficiency uh, plus total power output that um, impacts how well you can go in an aerobic state um, anyway probably got that one totally wrong but the efficiency does does very very little so you know whether you're using a 23% efficiency or a 26% efficiency using your power output as a as a baseline for working out what your energy burn is is much much more accurate than anything based on heart rate so you know if you have a power meter then you can pretty much take those figures um with a fair degree of of certainty and and that's how i know how much i burn because i look at you know i look at right if i'm going for an hour at this rate what's my calorie burn if i'm going for an hour at this rate what's my calorie burn yeah, do you know it's it's interesting. So I went out riding with a friend the other night, and uh, we were rode through. I think I told you about this. So anyway, me and Sean went out, and you you get to know your body and your processes and the amount of calories you need very quickly. So we 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 me and Sean do this. He works nights sometimes. I quite like to get used to riding at night, and the roads are a lot quieter. They're safe. We go out at night and we ride from Kingsland where we live to all the back roads through to Norwich and McDonald's and we go get some food and then we ride home again and we get home in the daylight and it's it's really nice ride actually it's we we it's nice to catch up so anyway we go to McDonald's and on the way I had two bottles of water with me both with carbohydrate powder in and I had a flapjack and carried on going and then we got to McDonald's and I had a wrap of the day a McFlurry and filled my water bottles up and put one thing of carbohydrate powder, one electrolyte tablet in, and then rode home. And I know that's enough for me. I know it's enough to get me home, and I know it's enough to not make me feel bloated. And then Sean gets in and he says, what What should I eat? And I'm just like, well, whatever you want. So he gets a nice big meal, he gets these kind of things. And the difference between efficiency of how he was feeling when we're getting close to actually getting some food, we're a little bit run down, and when we're getting home... The difference is huge from me having little bits often and only eating something smaller McDonald's to him just having water, then a big meal and then just water to the end. And this is something I've got in such a habit of knowing and doing over time that you, it just it's experience. It's, you know, that is the foundation of ultra racing for me. Experience. You just got to, like you said, practice and just learn what suits your body, what works, this kind of thing. I know if I'd had a big meal at McDonald's, I would have felt bloated and then I just wouldn't have enjoyed the ride home at all. That's why I only just had something small and just snacked along the way. Um, I was full of energy, but the highs and lows of having big resupplies and not 
being regular is is it just has some really dramatic effects on how you feel and how you ride and you know like I said to you earlier there's in my eyes there's very little that a coffee and a nice bit of food can't fix and I think the biggest problem with people in ultra eating is they run out of food they get depleted and it goes straight to their head and they sit there getting upset and down and sad because not because they're having a bad ride not because things have gone wrong because they're just so depleted of energy they feel so low and I think that's what makes a lot of people quit when the amount of messages I've sent to people going look I know you're feeling crap now but just have a coffee have a chill out have a nice big meal and then ride for a couple more hours and tell me how you feel and a lot of people say, I feel so much better just after having a bit of food and a coffee. And that's Emergency kind of Snickers. What you need. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's it. Ha- it happened to me at the end of Inca Divide. So when I was racing Michelangelo through the night, uh, I got to this place called Chow at like three o'clock in the morning. And I just, I texted Laura. Oh, she texted me saying, go on, keep going, keep going. You're doing really well, you're doing really well. And I just texted back saying, I am spent. I am, I just need. 20 minutes to put my head down and yeah. she just said no you don't have something to eat you'll be fine so i had a had a snickers bar and i felt fine carried hashtag on going not sponsored hashtag so ad. so there we go so yeah if in doubt have something to eat and you will feel a lot lot better yeah it's it's crazy like it, it, the amount of times i've lost count of the amount of times when i've been near tears because just so upset so tired so hungry and the minute you get tired and this is probably the, one of the biggest things that I have to say and I know this is about eating but we spoke about sleeping last week but if you don't sleep you get tired you get sloppy your processes go to absolute pot but and then you start to not eat enough and that's a bit of the problem and like and you setting your beeps up on your garment is such a good thing because people don't realize that tiredness makes you not eat because you're tired and you're not thinking straight and then you've got this issue of you know then you haven't eaten so you feel even lower then you start to ache then your body's under fueled and it's a really slippery slope so what you have to do is just even when you're tired just keep on the eating all the time and people forget this so much always be eating a b e always be eating um link to alec baldwin in the show notes Okay, so I, I think we've um, we've had a really good conversation about food. I'm just going to finish with one question. What is the one thing you would always have in your food bag? Um, this Honestly, this is a tough one. And do you know what? If I was in Holland, it would definitely be Stroop waffles, even though I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. Um, but the one thing... I, my... my sensible mind says a sachet of carbohydrate powder my 12 year old inside says a bag of haribo (laughs) and which particular kind of haribo the sours oh oh no yes yes. no 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 no, no. yeah like haribo sours yeah they're the best for me I, i probably yeah i really would be torn between a bag of haribo and I need to look at what I'm using at the moment. I've been eating these these ones I'm buying here in France, which are kind of like half the jelly sweets and half licorice, which is lovely. Oh, that um, sounds good. Or ham baguette. Oh yeah, ham baguette. I just because I just there's something really nice about having solid food 
and in a hamburger you get you get your carbohydrate in the bread you get fat in the in the ham and in the butter and then you get protein in the ham it's got it's it's like the perfect mix do you know what can i actually just say one thing that i've found recently is i've been you're gonna laugh at me for saying this so I've, i'm using this pro discover handlebar bag at the minute and it's got like these fasting straps on the top and loads of bags have them and um I noticed recently if you've got the roll bar on the front and you're using tri bars you can fit like subway sandwiches and baguettes in between your tri bars and rolls and then you can just strap them in with these kind of like bands and it just makes life so easy because you, you're constantly reminded that you've got food there you constantly know oh it's time to eat and it just fits perfectly you don't get any dirt fly up and hit them either it's just super convenient i i can't lie to you it was a complete game changer for me just to run into a garage grab a couple of baguettes chuck them in between my tri bars strap them down and then just carry on <laughs> you know, there easy. we go on on that final piece of incredibly good advice we shall say thank you all for listening and we shall see you same time same channel next week well we are no not same time because we are going to try and get back on schedule uh, we're not going to be <laughs> so, slack anymore um, so we'll see you in five leave, days <laughs> leave comments in the show notes what's your favorite food to eat uh, what's your strategy for eating and uh we will i think we'll have at least one more episode or two more episodes before we're then going to do a TCR Startline episode. Perfect. Can I ask you one more question before you go there, Neil? Uh, no. This is the only time that we're able to talk about this. Go on. The, what's the most embarrassing thing you've done when you've run out of food to get some food in? Oh, I don't know. Like, what's been your lowest of your low? Is in like, I can't believe I did that. I don't know. I don't think Just I have a, a. I can't believe I did that. I remember taking my frame bag off and to scrape breadcrumbs out of it. Oh. Yeah, it's like <laughs> cookie crumbs because I I had a cookie that broke in my bag, and I just remember sitting there this taste of oil, and I was like, oh, but I don't care, I need it, and that was in the lovely Peru. <laughs> right. Thank cool. you for listening, everybody, and we shall speak to you all soon. Catch you later.